0: I'll share something personal with you. This is just me. I don't recommend it to any of you. But with the advent of technology, I don't want to be a dumb old duffer. I want to try to keep up. And because some of this technology is a great blessing to us. Well, with the advent of smartphones, smartphones used by dumb people, I was educating myself. And the day I discovered that You know, I didn't have to pack my big quad combination, large print off to church. All I had to do was take my cell phone with me. And not only could I find the references faster. Oh, mama, I could look so smart. I could get to those references. I could find the obscure ones. Oh, man, think of what you could have done with one of those in seminary scripture chase. So for the last several years, I read my scriptures on my cell phone each day. But over time, I began to realize that I wasn't being fed like I used to be. Something was missing, the old axiom. Reading the scriptures on a cell phone, to me, was a lot like getting a passionate kiss through a screen door. Nice, but quite the same. So one day, not that long ago, I picked up my old, large print triple combination, soft blue cover, picked it up, opened it up, and on the day that I did, I had an experience similar to David. The light surrounded me. I was drawn into the book. Every comma had meaning, and from that day to this, I read the Book of Mormon in print. Because I scrawl all over the page and I turn it into a journal. If you would ever want to know this boy's heart, read his Book of Mormon and look in the margins. You'll find out what really makes me tick. Because to me, the Book of Mormon is likened better unto me in print than on a cell phone. That's why I love David's story. Pardon me. This next miracle. It was Saturday, May 17th, 1834. When the members of the Zion's Camp expedition, there's a book on the shelf there behind me about the march of Zion's camp in 1834. Well, on that march, on this particular day, they were camped near Richmond, Indiana. To avoid traveling on the Sabbath, they made camp and stayed there. Now, while camped there, One of the marchers, one of the men in the Camp of Israel expedition was a fellow by the name of Sylvester Smith. He was a member of the Kirtland High Council. He was a member of the church, yes, but he exhibited, quote, a rebellious spirit. He became angry, calling other camp members names and openly and outright defying the authority of the prophet Joseph Smith. Displeased with Sylvester's disunity and with others that had picked up a similar spirit, Joseph called the camp together and told them, according to Heber C. Kimball, quoting now, that they would meet with misfortunes, Difficulties and hindrances, and he said, You will know it before you leave this place. Heber recorded the aftermath of that prophecy. On the following morning, he said, when we arose, we found almost every horse in camp so badly foundered that we could scarce lead them a few rods to the water. When brother Joseph learned the fact, he explained, Heber said, that it was for a witness that God overruled and had his eye upon them. He then said that all those who would humble themselves before the Lord should know that the hand of God was in this misfortune, and their horses should be restored to health immediately. quote. Now, I don't know if you know anything about foundering a horse. But as often as not, that can, if not properly treated and caught in cotton time, can cripple a horse for life." Heber states that by noon of that day, quote, the horses were as nimble as ever, with the exception of one, a horse that belonged to Sylvester Smith. It died soon afterwards. I mentioned again, brothers and sisters. My friends, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him. Do your best. And miracles will follow. Not always the ones you want, but miracles will follow. This next story is several miracles all in one. Lydia Goldthwaite was born in 1812 in Massachusetts. Her home growing up was a happy one. When she was about 16 years old, she met and married a handsome and charming fellow named Calvin Bailey. But after their marriage, Calvin turned to drinking. Her marriage became the story of a man's cruelty and a woman's suffering. In 1829, Lydia gave birth to a little girl, which proved to be a blessing of comfort to a youthful mother. Then, two years later, Her husband abandoned her. Six months later, a little boy was born, but that little boy lived only a short time. And then one year later, Lydia's little girl died also. Lydia was inconsolable. Freeman Nickerson, a family friend, was moved to help the sorrowing and depressed girl. He invited Lydia to come to Canada and live with him and his wife. While there, Lydia met Joseph Smith the prophet and heard him preach. It's an interesting story because when Joseph and Sidney Rigdon, they came to the home of the Nickersons at the request of Freeman Nickerson, who was the father of the Nickersons in Canada. They were his sons. Well, they invited him to preach. I'm cutting through a lot of the details, but Lydia said that when Joseph stood up to preach, she saw his face become white, and a shining glow seemed to beam from every feature. Lydia was converted, and with trembling joy, she was baptized. Not long after that, Joseph was preparing to leave Canada to go back to Kirtland. As he was preparing to leave, he was pacing back and forth in a deep thought. Finally, he spoke and he said, I have been pondering on Sister Lydia's lonely condition and wondering why it is that she has passed through so much sorrow and affliction and is thus separated from all her relatives. And then he said, I now understand it. The Lord has suffered it, even as he allowed Joseph of old to be afflicted, who was sold by his brethren as a slave into a far country. And through that, Joseph said, became a savior to his father's house and country. Even so shall it be with her. The hand of the Lord will overrule it for good to her and her father's family. Then turning to the young girl, he continued, Sister Lydia, great are your blessings. The Lord your Savior loves you and will overrule all your past sorrows and afflictions for good. Let your heart be comforted. You are of the blood of Israel, descended through the loins of Ephraim. You shall yet be, he said, a Savior to your father's house. Therefore, be comforted and let your heart rejoice, for the Lord has a great work for you to do. Be faithful and endure unto the end, and all will be well. What a promise. Well, in the days ahead, Lydia was baptized, gathered with the saints to Kirtland. There she met a widower by the name of Newell Knight. Newell was tall, had light brown hair, a keen blue eye, and a very energetic and determined manner. To make a long story short, and it is a remarkable story, love grew between them. But when Newell proposed marriage, Lydia was, well, there's differing accounts, but Lydia was upset. She said to him, Sir, I know my condition is lonely and not a desirable one. But I do not wish you to insult me. I have not the slightest knowledge where my husband is, nor whether he is alive or dead. But I do not wish to take any step to make my condition worse or bring shame upon my family and deprive me of the salvation I am seeking to obtain. And Lydia walked out of the room. Can you imagine Newell? He had no idea. Didn't see that one coming and he didn't even propose marriage all he wanted to do was can we get to know each other better well notwithstanding her husband's three-year absence lydia was still married and in her mind she couldn't marry again new was distressed so he took the matter to hiram hiram took it to joseph and joseph took it to the lord and the lord came back and told him that lydia Was free to marry, and that such a union, the Lord said, would please him. Joseph went back, told Hiram, Hiram told Newell, and Newell went to Lydia and told Lydia. According to the account, filled with joy, Lydia threw herself upon her knees and poured out her soul in thanks to God for that revelation. She consented to marry Newell, and within days, word reached her that her former husband was indeed passed away. November twenty-third, 1835, Lydia and Newell were married by the Prophet Joseph Smith, the first marriage he ever performed. Well, time passed and the marriage between Newell and Lydia was a happy, fulfilling union. Children came, more children came. The family moved with the saints from Kirtland to Missouri and then to Nauvoo. There is a telling moment of Lydia's faith in the prophet Joseph Smith. In early Nauvoo, Lydia contracted the ague, the malaria, and along with so many others, she became desperately ill. She asked Newell, to go to the prophet and request a handkerchief blessed in her behalf. Newell agreed and returned shortly with the handkerchief. She took it eagerly, but her illness only worsened. Finally, it seemed, she was about to die, and she called to Newell and whispered to him that she felt the end was near. Instead of staying by her bedside, however, He got up quickly and left. He returned a short time later with another handkerchief. Here, Lydia, he said, here is a handkerchief from the prophet. Oh, my wife, the one I brought before was not from him. I so hated to trouble him with so many saints demanding his time. But this is from Joseph, and he says, Heavenly Father shall heal you. The next morning, Lydia's non-Mormon physician was shocked to see her all well. Now, when the Saints started West in 1846, Newell and Lydia were part of that great migration. In fact, Newell was a trusted captain that Brigham Young relied on. He was out in front of the main body of the Saints, and was camped at a place called Ponca, Fort Ponca, on the confluence of the Niobrara and the Missouri River in eastern Nebraska, in the northern part. And then on Christmas Day, 1846, a fire broke out not far from the settlement, and it swept down on the saints, threatening to burn everything they had built, their cabins, their haystacks, their wagons, all that they owned, Newell and others turned out on Christmas Day and fought that fire to ground. By 11 o'clock that night, they had put it out, but at a terrible cost. In the days that followed, Newell contracted pneumonia. On the 1st of January, 1847, Newell wrote this in his journal, quote, I scarcely know why I am thus anxious, why this world appears so trifling, or the things of this world. I almost desire to leave this tenement of clay, that my spirit may soar aloft and no longer be held in bondage, yet my helpless family seem to need my protection. For their sakes, and if I yet have more to do on earth or can do more good to the living than to the dead, I am willing to remain yet longer in the flesh. And then in Newell's journal, in big, bold, capped letters, underscored repeatedly, I saw the journal with my own eyes and I will never forget it. Newell wrote, Thy will, O Lord, be done, and not mine. Ten days later, Lydia sat with tightly closed hands and wild, agonized eyes, watching the breath of the being she loved better than life itself, slowly ebbing. Lydia, Newell's voice faintly whispered, It is necessary for me to go. Joseph wants me. It is needful that a messenger be sent with the true condition of the saints. Don't grieve too much, for you will be protected. Oh, Newell, don't speak so. Don't give up. I could not bear it. Think of me, Newell, here in an Indian country alone with seven little children, no resting place for my feet, no one to counsel, to guide, or to protect me. I cannot let you go, she said. Newell looked at her a moment and then said with a peculiar look, I will not leave you now, Lydia. But then he was in such terrible agony. She watched him suffer. And when she could bear his suffering no longer, Lydia knelt and prayed, If it really was the will of the Lord that he go, then please let him go. Quoting, The prayer was scarcely over, ere a calm settled on the sufferer. And with one long, loving look in the eyes of his beloved wife, The shadow lifted and the spirit fled. That evening, Newell Knight was buried. No lumber could be found, so Lydia had one of her wagon boxes made into a rude coffin. The day was excessively cold, and some of the brethren had their fingers and feet frozen while digging the grave and performing the last offices of love for their honored captain and brother. As the woman, Lydia, Looked out on the wilderness of snow known only to the Midwest and saw the man bearing away all that was left of her husband. It seemed that the flavor of life had fled and left only dregs, bitter, unavailing sorrow. But as she grew calmer, standing there by the side of the grave, she whispered with poor pale lips, God. Rules. It was the motto that Lydia and Newell had lived by God rules. Well, it would be another year or two before Lydia was finally able to gather up the means to make her way west. But as she sat there after the loss of her husband, overwhelmed at the enormity of what lay before her, a thousand-mile journey with seven children and no husband and no means of support. The burden weighed her down. She was discouraged. She cried out in the pain of her soul, "Oh, Newell, why hast thou left me? And then, as she spoke, Newell stood by her side with a lovely smile and said, Be calm. Let not sorrow overcome you. It was necessary that I should go. I was needed behind the veil to represent the true condition of this camp and people. You cannot fully comprehend it now, but the time will come when you shall know why I left you and our little ones. Therefore, he said, dry up your tears. Be patient. I will go before you and protect you in your journeyings, and you and your little ones shall never perish for the lack of food. End of quote. Well, in time, Lydia did make her way to Utah, and she finally settled in St. George, Utah. She was there in 1877 when the temple was dedicated, and not long after, she was called to be a temple worker. Where she labored for the rest of her days, performing the sacred ordinances for hundreds of her kindred dead, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Joseph that she would be a savior to her people. It is said in the family records that when she performed the last ordinance for the last family member she could find, she passed away. I love Newell and Lydia. God rules. There is one more story I want to add to that, to the story of Lydia. Well, somewhere right around the turn of the 20th century, one of Lydia and Newell's youngest sons, in fact, he might have been the youngest, I don't remember, was Jesse. Jesse returned to Ponca, To find the grave of his father, he searched. They could not find it. So, in memory of his father and those who passed away at Ponca, there stands an obelisk raised to those Latter day Saints who gave their lives in the gathering to follow the prophets. Now, in the days just before Jesse made that pilgrimage to Ponca, Jesse was not always active in the church. In fact, in time as he came of age, not only was he not active in the church, he would argue against the church. Jesse's son recorded that on his grandmother's last visit to the night home, this would be Lydia coming to visit her son, Jesse, his father, Jesse, said to his mother, Mother, how is it that you are not preaching to me as you usually do? She answered, Jesse i have prayed in the temple for my children many times and on one occasion the lord made known to me that i was not to worry about you any more that you would one day understand for yourself and then jesse said to his mother mother i know you must be mistaken for i am further from the church now than i have ever been before to which lydia replied I don't care what you say. I know you will one day see the gospel for yourself. And I never intend to argue again with you about religion. Jesse's mother then returned to St. George and completed her temple work and passed on to the other side of the veil. Now, here's the rest of that story. A few years later, Jesse's family was afflicted with sickness. Not sure what it was. The illness struck his youngest child about two years of age. The little girl was the idol, Jenny, was the idol of the whole family. They loved her. When the doctors declared that nothing more could be done to save her, Jesse's wife insisted that they call the elders to administer to the babe. But Jesse, the father, stated, No, it would be hypocritical now that the doctors have given her up for me to resort to such a thing. And besides, he said, I have no faith in the church. However, thankfully, Jesse's wife prevailed, and the elders were called. They administered to the unconscious two-year-old. As soon as they finished, Jenny immediately woke up, sat up, and noticed the flowers in the window. From that very moment, Jesse's son said, my father's life was changed, and he remembered the words of his mother. Jesse himself made this note. Soon after the miraculous healing of Jenny, our oldest girl, Minnie, was stricken. From the time she was taken ill, Minnie felt that she would not recover. When asked why she felt so, she answered that when Jenny was so bad, the little girl, she had asked God to take her if she would do as well as Jenny. So, Minnie counted the days, believing that she would live but 30 days from the time she took sick. Every day, Jessie said, she kept the count and departed as she had said. Her going was peaceful, her breath leaving her as she said the prayer, O God, bless our household. Jesse said, I remembered now that when Minnie was a baby, she had diphtheria, and that then, almost 17 years before, I had promised the Lord that if he would spare her life, I would not forget him. And then Jesse said, I had not kept that promise. How keenly, he said, I felt the justice of her being taken from us. I suffered in my feelings. I prayed for forgiveness and help. My prayer was answered and I received a testimony. Now I close with one last story. Jesse repented. I'm sure that there's some of you listening who are descendants of the Knight family who know this story better than me. But Jesse and his family, this is the year about 1896, Jesse and his family were ranching in the southern part of Utah County. As a hobby, Jesse, not a geologist and not an expert, loved to go prospecting. One day he was walking on the east side of Godiva Mountain when all of a sudden he heard a voice, according to the account, say to him, this land is here for the Mormons. Along with that came an impression that there was mineral wealth underneath his feet. Notwithstanding that his ranch was mortgaged, that the church was over a million dollars in debt because of the war against polygamy, and notwithstanding all the odds against him, Jesse hired a geologist first who said, this land is a waste, there's nothing down here. But then he went out and hired a couple of expert miners and got his son, and they went back up on the side of the mountain, and they began to dig. And day after day after day, they kept digging and found nothing. Then, one day, as they were walking up the hill, Jesse and his son, Will, Jesse said, One day, we are going to find wealth. We will have more money than we know what to do with as soon as we're ready for it. And that we will save the credit of the church. Not long after that, on the faith of that revelation, they struck a vein of ore that ran for two miles. Over $10 million then in gold and silver would come out of that mine, perhaps much, much more. With the first ore that was sold, Jesse donated ten thousand dollars of the first eleven thousand dollars he made gave it to the church to help pay the debts and meet the interest thus saving the credit of the church brothers and sisters i have gone longer than i should i need to be done i want to close with just a couple of things there is a story i'm going to share with you next time which you'll think i'm crazy. But as the lady, when she sent it to me, this is, she said, the miracle of miracles. And indeed, it is. I'll share that with you next time. But for now, I want to bear my testimony. These people saw what they saw. They left a record. They were not liars. They were not frauds and cheats. They were not out to deceive. No one in good conscience can look back at the accounts I've shared and said, oh, they were making it all up to further a cause. In your heart, you know that's not true. They were telling the truth. I am telling you the truth. God lives. Jesus is the Christ. This is his work. And miracles still happen. Just ask Brad Ward and others. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God bless you. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at GlenrossonStories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.